Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. must see the central narrative that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, June 26th, 2023, the 887th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator dot dot com. You can do so for as little as a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do in this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So on Friday, we talked about what I call informational time travel. And I hope you had a chance to listen to that episode. If you didn't, you might want to listen to that episode before this episode. I know it's a little dense and it's kind of a lot of philosophy, a lot of moving parts, a lot of if this, then that. 
there's a lot to keep track of. And trust me, I know that because it's all in my head and I have a hard time keeping track of it. But I said at the end of the episode on Friday that I would probably have more to say about the subject. And of course I did because I didn't finish the subject completely on Friday, but I got to what seemed like a good place to stop. And I figured we would just leave it there for the time being. Now, I listened to the episode again over the weekend because I wanted to make sure that I didn't sound absolutely insane while talking about things like time travel. And I think that I'm probably okay along those lines, but I wanted to just clarify one thing that I said during that episode. At some point, I talked about how I did not believe there was any good information to be gained from someone who was existing in an informational past. And just to re-describe what I mean when I say an informational past, think of it this way. We understand that the vaccines are not safe, they're not effective, they were never necessary, and they seem to be incredibly harmful. People are just figuring that out right now. We knew back at the beginning, two and a half years ago, that that COVID vaccine was a very bad idea and not necessary. Now, that might have been the first time we ever determined that about a vaccine. We might have been vaccine supporters up till then. We might have been the sort of people that said, trust the science. I don't believe all these people talking about the links between vaccines and autism or vaccines and allergies. These people that are worried about this vaccine schedule that has 50 or 60 or 70 different shots for little tiny children. It was always trust the science. Vaccines work. Vaccines have always worked. And what do you want? Polio and measles to come back? You science denier. I was one of those people 10 years ago, but I could have known back then that I was wrong. The information was available. Other people knew the truth. We were just psyoped into believing otherwise, and there was a ton of money coming from big pharma, coming from the global governing bodies, coming from the media companies. They were able to create a system to ensure that the people never really knew the truth about those vaccines. And even if some knew the truth, it wouldn't spread throughout society and make people turn away from the vaccines and stop getting their children vaccinated. Someone just figuring all of that out today has lived the last two years in an informational past relative to us. They have lived 10 years in an informational past relative to people who knew 10 years ago. Now, if you were one of those people who knew 10 years ago and you had a baby eight years ago, there's a good chance that your eight year old child was never vaccinated. But if you just found out two and a half years ago when I did, there's a very good chance your eight-year-old child was vaccinated. That would mean that your eight-year-old child was subject to your decision-making while you were making decisions in an informational past. And of course, a lot of people, people who just woke up to all of this today, well, they probably got the shot themselves. If they knew what the truth was two and a half years ago, they would have made the decision not to get the shot. If they knew the truth 10 years ago, they would have decided not to get their child vaccinated. 
And if their child couldn't go to the schools as a result, they would have homeschooled their child because they would have understood I'm not injecting that into my child. Now, a lot of people have injected vaccines into their children, not understanding that the vaccines aren't safe, aren't effective, aren't necessary, and are very probably harmful. Maybe not in all cases, but certainly in many. Now, if you got your child vaccinated, does that mean that you are a horrible, irresponsible parent? Well, no, everybody makes mistakes and you made a mistake. The solution is to try to make up for that mistake, however possible. Be honest about it. Do what you can to not make that mistake again. Seek to rectify any problems and ask for forgiveness. Most awake people understand that most people were brainwashed. And the truth is, most people who are currently parents of young children were themselves vaccinated when they were young. And so they think it's fine, too, because they've spent their entire lives thinking it's fine. That's how pervasive the brainwashing was. We don't blame our parents for getting us vaccinated in the 70s and 80s and 90s. But it's also necessary to understand that they were under the same societal pressures and probably didn't really check. Getting information was a lot harder back then. And people who became experts in their field, the doctors, the lawyers, the professional class, we assumed that those people by and large were trustworthy and that even if some weren't and they had bad business dealings or cheated on their wives or whatever, they were at least being informed and honest about their job because people's lives were on the line. Well, now we can see in 2023, after going through the very deadly pandemic, that there are a whole lot of doctors out there in the world. There are a whole lot of people in the professional class that don't take their roles particularly seriously. They don't live with much integrity or honor. They are not experts in their fields in any particular way. And they are just trying to create as much personal advantage for themselves as they can, just like people in all sorts of other industries that we don't have this insane reverence for. So the point is that we are learning these basic and eventually obvious truths at different times. Some people just learned that vaccines can't be trusted. I personally learned that about two and a half years ago or so. Some people learned about it way before then. Many parents did when their children were perfectly normal. And then after a round of shots, they had some health problem or developmental problem. And some people learned it a long time ago and were never confused about any of it. The point is to be correctly interpreting the world as soon as you can, especially when it involves anything that intersects important decision making in your life. This isn't just about being wrong instead of right. It's about being wrong when you could have and should have been right. And for the entire time that you are wrong, while you could have been right, you are making incorrect decisions in an important and specific way because you have misinterpreted something absolutely critical to the decision you're trying to make. The point of all this is that what we are communicated by society, by culture, by the mainstream media, whatever exists in the central narrative, 
through big tech, through the commercials we see on television. All of that is designed to construct a false reality. They distort our reality in various ways. They mislead us about what we are seeing now. They mislead us about what our neighbors and our peers actually believe about the world. For instance, they convince us that racism is this massive problem when it largely is not for normal people. They tell us things are happening that simply are not happening. And then on the basis of those fake events they describe, they try to tell us that aspects of that event prove that the world is a certain way that it isn't. So they're able to send us into false realities in the present. Then they go back and they revise our history for us so that we don't actually know what came before. We thought things were a certain way. It turns out now we're being told that new information has been discovered and our past was an entirely different way. Well, that's confusing. That's going to really shake our understanding of what we know in the world as it exists. And then they tell us about the future that they've prepared for us. Their goal is to not only give us false information and mislead us, but also to mess with our sense of time so that when we discover truth, it can never be used at the point we need it. And let's look at the vaccine example again. We are now allowed to talk about how vaccines are not particularly safe or effective and were not necessary and are harmful on platforms that used to censor us. And certain newscasts and news articles present many of the same arguments we were making a couple of years ago. They're doing that now. Now it's okay. Now, part of that is that they are unable to avoid the fact that people are waking up and understanding all of this to be true. But part of it is that the reasons for them hiding it are not the same as they used to be. They can just let it go for a while. The narratives already accomplished the goals for which they were designed. People accepted the vaccine. They took the vaccine. The pharma companies made money. They got everyone injected. Most people realized that was a bad idea, but they don't seem all that mad about it because they're mostly consumed with reassuring themselves that nothing is really wrong. The mistake they made wasn't that big. And certainly that's natural. We've probably all done that about some mistake we've made in our lives. So we have distortions in the details and we have distortions in the timelines. We are confused not only about what's happening now, but about what happened in the past and how the future is going to look if we behave and how bad it might be if we don't. If we want to be able to move beyond our misinterpretations about the details and about the timelines, then we need to unwind all of these misinterpretations to find the roots of these misinterpretations and then understand that we were wrong from that point forward so that we can figure out what other issues were affected by this misinterpretation. So on Friday, I was talking about how I think it's generally a bad idea to listen to any political analysis from anyone who pretends that Joe Biden got 81 million real lawful American votes and that our elections in America are free and fair, safe and secure. And I said that there's no good information that we can get from these people. And here's what I want to correct or clarify. 
Some of these people have good factual information or good functional information. They might be able to tell me the details of an historical event and how things were in some situation. And then it is up for me to interpret from that information they're giving me the degree to which that information is reliable and whether or not they might be giving me the view from a false reality, because that is ultimately the point of this manipulation is to send everyone off into a false reality relative to an entire series of events, not only social and cultural events, but events in one's own life. And at some point, once you reach total inversion within the false reality relative to a bunch of events, you are essentially completely in the false reality and at a total inversion point within it. And this is where you will begin to make consistently wrong decisions at every point in your life in specific ways that will continue reaffirming the goodness and truth of the false reality. Now, if you're able to make those discernments and someone actually does have a massive knowledge base about certain subjects, you can still draw a lot of good information out of those people. But it's important to be careful that with that good information you're getting, you don't also import all of their analysis and interpretation of those situations, because aside from the objective or functional facts that they are communicating to you, the rest of it is from a false reality and you don't want to mix those two things or else you end up incorporating their version of the false reality into your own. So I wanted to be sure that I clarify that because I'm not saying that someone who is not caught up to the present on this view or that view should never be listened to about anything. And I'm certain that I said specifically that none of us will ever be totally caught up to the present. So if that's true, then we will all be in an informational past about a whole range of issues. That doesn't mean we can discount everything a person says. And I wasn't trying to say that. But at the same time, if someone is of the understanding that our elections are free and fair and safe and secure despite how obviously false that is and how everybody in the future will know how obviously false that is, well, then that person is making a number of mistakes in anything that touches political analysis. That person might be able to tell you how to fix a car or to explain math or to teach you how to cook. But there's no point in listening to them analyze the 2024 election because they don't even understand what elections are. And that doesn't mean that they're just too stupid, although they are being stupid. Another thing we are all capable of and have all been before and still often are about a great many things. If they simply updated their understanding of what elections are, which they could do in the course of a few days, they would quickly jump into a relative future compared to where they are now. And once they incorporated the present understanding of things into the rest of their thinking, they could probably catch back up to the present in many more ways. 
The point is to find your way out of that false reality where everything is confusing. Nothing makes sense. Everything is out of order. Time feels all wrong. A point where you're not making real world decisions in the present. You're just not attached from reality. We have to get out of that thing. And part of that process is by working our way back through time Everything that has led us to the point we are, all the repetition of these traumas that reconfirm our misinterpretations and lead us further into the false reality, we have to get out of that. Because the thing is, if you are in the false reality, if you are experiencing a total inversion within the false reality across the entire range of issues, virtually anything that comes up for you, the effect of the false reality bears on that decision, then you might be making highly rational decisions within the false reality that will nonetheless lead you in exactly the opposite direction from where you intended to head. You can be making effective, rational decisions within the false reality that will seem right again and again and again. You can justify them in every way possible using only the information from the false reality and still have the consequences of those decisions become disastrous in the observable empirical reality because you are working in the direction that will make sure your real world results are awful. And we talked about that with the relationship example the other day. Now consider this. So let's say you're in an informational past regarding stolen elections. You believe our elections are free and fair, safe and secure. It is clear in observable empirical reality right now that the narrative on election fraud and the public understanding of election fraud has gone in one and only one direction for the last two and a half to three years. People are understanding that elections are stolen. No one who believed our elections are stolen is going back the other direction. There might be some absolutely detached communists who have done everything they can to support the idea that Joe Biden got 81 million real lawful American votes. Maybe those people have pushed themselves deeper into the false reality regarding election fraud. They have remained in that informational past. They're more convinced than ever that our elections are free and fair, safe and secure. They denied the Halderman report that just was finally unsealed last week and showed that there's absolutely no way in the world that anyone could possibly imagine our elections were actually free and fair, safe and secure. And they accepted that it was debunked. They doubled down on the false reality once again. They said, not only do I trust the experts, I have never trusted the experts more than I trust them now. And as an act of how much I trust the experts, I am going to deny the Halderman report too. There might be a few of those people. But by and large, most of society has awakened to the idea that our elections are stolen and they're catching up. It is unlikely to the point of impossibility that that awakening will reverse and society won't reach that level of common understanding where 85, 90, 95% of people understand that elections have been stolen throughout our history. We are headed in that direction and unstoppably in that direction. It would take some major violent event, nuclear war, civil war, 
some sort of real unrest or destabilization that would make people focus on something totally different for maybe months or years in order to stop society from reaching the point where they realize that our elections are stolen. That's the sort of thing that should be fairly obvious to anyone paying attention. If you understand the process by which society comes to terms with new ideas, you can simply observe us in the late stages of that process when it comes to stolen elections, and you will know that we are going unstoppably in one direction. If you know that's true, then you should resolve to live in that future where everyone understands that our elections are stolen, which means that right now you don't go along with the story and pretend that Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes because what you're saying to other people is, hey, I'm as stupid as you or I'm at least willing to lie about it in the future where everyone knows that Joe Biden didn't get anywhere close to 81 million real lawful American votes. You can trust me that we'll be on the same team telling everyone else it's OK. Nobody knew and people will pretend nobody knew. Let's say that the date where everybody finally wakes up and realizes, wow, Joe Biden didn't get anywhere close to 81 million real legal American votes. Let's say that date is September 3rd of this year. I'm just, I chose that at random. Okay. I'm not suggesting anything. I'm not suggesting we'll know by then. It's just a random date. I want to be very clear about that. So September 3rd is that date on September 3rd. Everybody's going to know that the elections are stolen. They were stolen in 2022. They were stolen in 2020. They were stolen in 2018. And we can just keep tracing back. They've been stolen for a long time. Are primaries stolen? Yeah. Are school board elections stolen? Yeah. All elections all across the country stolen. Every level. Primaries, generals, runoffs, all of them. Is it every single one? Well, hey, maybe it's not every single one. But it is effectively all of them to the point where there is absolutely no justification for having faith in any of them being properly decided. So what would it mean then that still two and a half plus years later, you are supporting this notion that is absolutely going to be untenable in the future and which more than half the country has already understood for a long time to be true? How in general will people be perceived if those people have spent two and a half to three years denying that while we have an illegitimate president in office? Those people are not going to look good. It is for their own benefit to snap to the present as quickly as possible to understand where this narrative is going. If in the future, the entire public knows that election theft is real and you can see that future fast approaching, well, then you need to live as if that future is already arrived because in every important way, it already has. Will you be able to claim everyone else was wrong too as an excuse? People certainly will claim that. And some people out there will agree with them and forgive them and say, yes, you are right. No one knew that the elections were stolen except for that million or two million people who showed up in Washington, D.C. to protest the theft of those elections and the 60 plus percent of Americans who've said they understand elections are stolen for the last two years. I mean, all those people 
were aware of what was going on. They weren't wrong the same way everybody was wrong. It's just the people addicted to the central narrative, existing in a false reality, living in an informational past who believed it was commonly and widely understood that our elections are free and fair, safe and secure, or they were happy to go along with the incentive and punishment structure and say the things the regime asked them to say. None of that is honorable. None of it is going to look good in the future. And what does a total inversion in the false reality imply relative to election theft? Let's consider what's happening now with Ron DeSantis and his supporters. And I'm not talking about how DeSantis is regularly 40 or 50 or more points back in the polls to Donald Trump. Who cares about polls? People understand that Ron DeSantis is nowhere close. But all the people making the case for Ron DeSantis, including Ron himself, are dependent for their success on people never waking up to the fact that our elections are stolen. They can't admit it because then they would have no purpose for their campaign and Ron would look immediately like a traitor to America. And that is a product of people not grappling with the fact that our elections are stolen. They have chosen the false reality. They exist in an informational past relative to our elections in the future. No one will take them seriously in their belief about election theft. And they are choosing that future for themselves based on incentives right now. Those incentives also will not be valuable in that future they don't care because they are the sorts of people who accept the incentives and avoid the punishments and obey. They do what they're told to do and they say what they're told to say. That always worked in the past within the false reality. Within the false reality, they are making rational decisions. Unfortunately, we're not in the false reality and all of those rational decisions make their position even worse. Again, Think about the DeSantis supporters, the formal ones. I'm not talking about just random people online. I'm talking about the people who go down and visit Ron DeSantis in Florida over the last two years while all of this has been planned out. Those people thought that they would have power and money and status and attention. They would be in the inner circle for the new president. They would have gotten in on the ground floor before Ron's campaign ever started. They thought they would have the first shot at the primo positions within Ron's administration, or maybe they just wanted to be the big media show that ran alongside the whole Ron administration. It seems Daily Wire has signed up for that program. All of those incentives sounded really good in the false reality, in the informational past, where our elections are free and fair and safe and secure. Because within the false reality, Donald Trump actually lost in 2020. And not only did he lose, he lost because of who he is and how bad he is, how much people dislike him. Now, why do people dislike him? You can unwind that whole process as well, because people don't like Donald Trump is only true within the false reality as well. Donald Trump is probably the most popular president in American history, if not world history. And we are told it's the opposite by the television. The incentive structure of the regime encourages us to repeat that obvious falsehood that is 
only true within the false reality. And so people repeat it. People believe it. And then people use that as the justification for why Donald Trump lost, because they have to hold on to the idea that the election was free and fair, safe and secure. Now, if they were not in a false reality, if everything they believed was true in the empirical observable reality, then they are absolutely correct that the things they are doing would fast track them toward power, status and wealth in a potential Ron administration. To that extent, all of their decisions are absolutely rational. Now, that doesn't make them honest or moral because the people supporting Ron are not honest and they are not moral. The entire thing is an abomination on every level, and the people involved with it should be absolutely ashamed. But there is a rationality to it in the false reality. But what are they doing from the perspective of the empirical observable reality where elections are obviously stolen? They think that they are supporting a conservative who will put America first and who can win against Joe Biden. That is what they say. That is the case they make in public. I'm not misstating their views. All of that is dependent on our elections being free and fair, safe and secure. And if our elections were that way, they might have a point. Maybe Donald Trump did lose for all these reasons they're saying. And we do need to put someone else on the ticket in order to win. But all of that is totally detached from the reality of stolen elections in our country. It's in an informational past relative to election theft. All of that analysis is absolute nonsense. And look where it's leading them rather than fighting for the country, rather than reclaiming their patriotism, rather than supporting the man who had the election stolen from him, the rightful winner, the newly elected president of the United States of America, rather than supporting that man, rather than supporting the efforts to make sure that we have free and fair, safe and secure elections in this country. They are trying in every way imaginable to bury that man and his movement in the false reality. All of that is rational. But in the real world, it makes no sense. In fact, it is going in the exact opposite direction, especially as these guys try to portray themselves as the smartest, most patriotic, most conservative people who have ever existed online. All of that is a product of the opposite bizarro world thinking that makes sense in the false reality. If the central narrative was true, maybe these people would be very smart and very conservative and very patriotic, but it's not true. And so instead, they're supporting somebody who is basically just a television construct, has accomplished very little, has not outperformed his peers, and who is only running to seize power on behalf of the same regime that stole the last election and has usurped the American government. It is the least patriotic, least conservative, least honest, least moral, and least productive stance they could possibly take. And all of it is a product of total inversion within the false reality. It not only produces bad outcomes, it produces bad outcomes 
in a way that is exactly opposite of what should be done at every single turn. Every single thought and decision is wrong because it's the false reality to go back and examine the election of 2020 or prior elections, looking for evidence that our elections are not free and fair, are not safe and secure. You would find them almost immediately upon looking. With an open mind, you would immediately find evidence of election fraud that should shake your faith in the ability for any election in America to produce trustworthy results. And as soon as that is accepted, you begin reattaching to reality and catching up to the present because that thought should shake the rest of your political understanding. Immediately, you think, well, how many of the people serving in government And making laws and rules about how my life is supposed to go. How many of those people are legitimately elected? And it turns out to be not very many of them. And then you might wonder, hey, do they know that the elections are not free and fair and safe and secure? And you might realize pretty quickly that they do. And that that's a big part of what's happening right now. They make deals for themselves to pursue their own power and own status and own wealth. And part of that comes with denying that our elections are stolen, even though everyone involved knows they are. It might change your mind immediately about the makeup of this country. Well, they always tell us it's a 50-50 country, right? 50% Democrats, 50% Republicans. They're like cats and dogs. They will never, ever get along. Except, you know, when they do something bipartisan, which we are all supposed to celebrate and not understand to be the uniparty left and uniparty right to be implementing an anti-citizen agenda together. You might realize, no, there aren't actually 50% of the people in this country who think abortion at eight months is okay. There aren't actually 50% of the people in this country who can't tell the difference between men and women. And there aren't 50% of people in this country who are white supremacists. We're talking about views held by 2% of people, 5% of people, 10% of people. Can't be a whole lot more than that. And again, I'm not saying that people will represent their honest views publicly with the incentive and punishment structure, but there aren't real people out there who think that we need abortions at eight months or otherwise we are violating the rights of women and trying to control their bodies. That's not a view held by 50% of America. Now on Friday, I also talked about how there are certainly people in this world who live in an informational future relative to us that doesn't require actual time travel. It doesn't require them really being in the future. It just requires them being much closer, if not in the present. They are still in the future relative to us. And I talked about technology, someone like Elon Musk, someone in DARPA, someone like Donald Trump. They might know what's coming in different fields of technology and how that technology might affect us. There is certainly plenty of conversation about AI, and we're told how the future might look if AI goes in a certain direction. Well, considering that technology especially is one of those areas where we know for a fact people know more about the future than we do, then we should assume that 
potential futures are already occurring right now that we don't know about. We know that AI has been used to control things. But what if AI has been used to control 10 times as many things as we think it's been used for, or it has controlled a series of things that we are aware of 10 times more than we realize? What if we are much further along the path of implementation of AI than we understand? What if we are not catching all of the right signals? Someone who is very attentive and very attuned to the AI issue might be considerably ahead of us on the timeline. They might exist in an informational future relative to us and our understanding of AI, and that might matter in significant ways. It might matter with how we interact with social media. It might matter with how we handle our finances. It might matter with who we talk to out in the world and the sorts of things we say to them. And those people existing in the informational future relative to us will make different decisions and maybe better decisions, also maybe worse decisions. Maybe they will be in a false reality relative to the rest of it. They'll have terrible priorities and they will use their exceptional information to create terrible and disastrous consequences for themselves and others. But there are also people out there with information from a relative future who are not looking to exploit other people and who just want to communicate that information and make good decisions for themselves. And there are a lot of people out there attempting to do that by investing in gold or silver or Bitcoin or something. There are people out there doing that, preparing food stores. Maybe there are people who have left cities and feel more safe and secure where they are. And hey, maybe the future they see on the horizon never comes to be, but they're preparing for that possible future based on information that they have that we are not acting upon. No one can do everything. No one can be expected to fully catch up to the present, much less exist in an informational future relative to everyone else. But you do what you can to try to put yourself in a good position using the advantages you have. That is totally normal. And it's also totally productive. If there comes a point where everyone realizes, oh, wow, we all have to get out of cities as fast as possible. The people who moved out to the country and got the best prices on homes and land five years ago are obviously making better decisions relative to this issue than the people who just spent millions of dollars buying the nicest condo in all of Los Angeles, for instance. And so now the next step is this. If you are at least open to the ideas about the central narrative and the way information flows, the way information is manipulated and the way people are manipulated through the use of that information, the way I talk about it, the way my friend Burning Bright talks about it, we talk about narrative events primarily and place them above actual events because all we can generally know about actual events is how they're described to us in the narrative. And that especially makes sense when we realize that a bunch of the events that are described to us in the narrative aren't actual events in the first place. They're fake events or events that have been so distorted in the communication that by the time we are told them, there is nothing to be gained from knowledge of the event, and the only useful information is 
what the narrative operation was. And so let's talk about a few of those because we had some interesting ones over this past weekend. Now, this is a simple one. We had an NBC poll come out that showed Ron DeSantis was leading Joe Biden in the general election polling. NBC has new data that tells us Ron is ahead. Totally contrary to all the other data, we have a corporate mainstream media regime propaganda outlet running a poll on an imaginary situation. Ron DeSantis taking on Joe Biden in the general election. That is not a situation that's going to exist in real life. So we don't actually need to poll it. And because it's not real, people can just give their opinions on what it would be like if that happened. It's like, would you like to take a unicorn ride? Yes or no? Well, me, I mean, probably not. But also like, when are you going to get another chance to? Okay, so yes, sign me up for the unicorn ride. You do that with 1,500 likely voters, and you can get all sorts of answers about unicorn rides. America says they love the idea of riding unicorns. Headline, MSNBC. And then they have a 10-person panel speak on that issue for about four and a half minutes before they break for more Pfizer advertisements. We are being told that NBC called a bunch of people, proposed an imaginary scenario, would you vote? For Ron DeSantis or Joe Biden, and they said, you know what? I think we would vote for Ron DeSantis. Now, Ron DeSantis is down big in his own state. In fact, he's down in every single state in the primary. But that doesn't matter because NBC says, oh, Ron's going to kick ass in the general. But that's not a real situation. We already know that polling is mostly, if not all, fake. We know that the scenario is fake. So all that's left is NBC telling us, hey, Ron really has a chance if he makes it to the general. So maybe everybody should take him a little more seriously. And then, of course, we can analyze why that piece of the narrative is necessary to the regime. But the event itself, people believe Ron will beat Biden isn't even real. So we don't need to examine the reality of it. We don't need to have long talks about it and figure out where it leads. It's not real. We're only even paying attention to it because NBC is a big brand and people within the child brain, within the false reality, think, well, NBC is a professional news organization and they have a lot of money, probably unlimited money and funds to spend on things like polling. So they probably hired the best pollsters and their results can probably be trusted more than just about anyone else because of the money they probably invested into getting this poll. Now, does any child brain know that any of that is true? No, of course not. But it makes sense based on how they believe things work within the false reality. And if all that's true, then the other thing might be true too. Let's think about the Trump documents case, the indictment about the documents for the Espionage Act. Trump is going to prison. Ooh, if you're speaking to a standard issue communist, just your average villager on the street, they'll say, hey, Donald Trump is going to prison for this documents thing. He had these classified national security documents and he was waving them around in the air, which is the same as selling them to our foreign adversaries, I guess. 
But that just confirms that Donald Trump is a maniac who can't control himself, a traitor to the United States, and he must, must be dealt with this time. That's what you will hear from any standard villager. And you might say, hello, fair villager. Where did you get an idea like that? And they'll say, everybody knows. Didn't you just see the indictment? And you say, my, 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 dear communist, are you sure? Do you know what's on those documents? And they say, well, no, I've never seen the documents. Well, then how do you know they were national security documents? Well, they were reported as national security documents. Oh, so you just believe the report about what's happening and therefore Donald Trump is going to jail. Now, maybe this is a stupid question and I'm sure that you vetted all this information, but did the people on the news see these documents? Oh, no, they didn't. Well, then how do they know that they're national security documents? Oh, oh, it's because it says it in the indictment. So the indictment, therefore, is true. There's no way that the indictment could be false in any way, right? They would just never do that. Jack Smith would never do that. Merrick Garland would never do that. Joe Biden, who's their boss, would never do that. You trace it all the way back up that scale. And ultimately, it just becomes, well, hey, commie, are you telling me that Donald Trump is going to prison because you believe and trust and have faith in Joe Biden? Is that what this all comes down to? Because it sounds like you have no idea what the documents are. You have no idea what Donald Trump did with them. You have no idea how any of that is illegal. And I certainly couldn't be convinced that you have a deep understanding of the law on these topics. All you did was watch about 10 minutes of MSNBC. So what the hell are you talking about, Kami? And of course, they have absolutely no idea. They have not even considered at any point that any of the event, as it's described to them, might be fake. Not only are they experiencing a total inversion within the false reality on just about every front, I'm talking about people whose entire being, whose entire perspective is within the false reality. They have not considered that they might be wrong about any of the aspects of the situation that they will eventually admit when pressed they don't know anything about. It would be shocking that anyone could be this way, but it turns out that so many people are this way. No one is even surprised by it to the point where we all just accept this stuff in conversation. We understand that they have been given the same default information pack that we've been given. They just haven't moved beyond it. They accept and believe everything contained within the central narrative as it's delivered to them. They are told they must defend all of that stuff and they faithfully do defend it. But they don't know what the documents were. They don't know what the documents say. They don't know the documents have anything to do with national defense. And they don't have any reason to believe that Donald Trump committed some violation of the Espionage Act in his handling of those documents when Donald Trump and the law say these documents are declassified and I have full plenary authority as president to declassify absolutely everything. And he does have that 
plenary authority. Donald Trump as president could simply declare there are no classified documents anywhere. He doesn't have to appeal to some higher authority. He doesn't need to go to the attorney general and say, excuse me, sir, can I have permission to declassify these documents? He doesn't have to go to the military of which he is the commander in chief and ask if he's allowed to declassify stuff. He is the chief magistrate of the United States of America and the commander in chief of the United States military. He is in that role as a representative of the people because the people put him there. And one of his job responsibilities is choosing what should be classified and declassified. He is allowed to do his job as the law describes and cannot get in trouble later for doing his job as the law describes just because some people on TV figured out a creative way to claim that he violated the law. The whole thing is fake from the bottom up. And I don't mean that every single aspect of it is wrong. I mean that the thing itself and the way it has been delivered to us and the meaning we are told we must draw from all this, all of that is a deception. Let's keep going. There was a viral video moment yesterday at a pride event in Oregon where people who looked like they were dressed up as the Patriot Front, they may well have been Patriot Front members with the masks and everything, had a little skirmish with a bunch of Proud Boys at the same event. Counter-protesters skirmishing. The Proud Boys pulled the masks off the Patriot Front Fed Boys, and it turns out that they're Antifa and other people linked to Feds, etc. They're not some right-wing, white supremacist, pro-Trump, MAGA extremist, domestic terrorist group. They're just a bunch of fakers and frauds like everyone has been saying the whole time. Now, this video went viral like some MAGA patriots had finally stood up to these fakers. But it seems like everybody missed the fact that the quote unquote MAGA patriots were Proud Boys. Now, I'm not saying that all Proud Boys are bad or that all Proud Boys are feds. But there are certainly plenty of informants, including the Proud Boys, quote unquote, leader Enrique Tario, who got picked up on January 5th, 2021 and never actually made it to January 6th. Guys like that and certainly other Fed infiltrators like there are in all of these groups. And if we went back in time and examined these groups going back throughout time, we would understand over and over again in every situation there is fed infiltration in all of those groups going all the way back to the kkk a democrat operation to suppress the black vote that has been blamed on republicans ever since they've been an op the entire time feds have been infiltrated for decades there are movies about feds infiltrating the clan and if we are familiar with that history, if we are living in the empirical observable reality, if we are attached to reality relative to these groups, then when we see these groups acting out in the real world, the best thing to assume is that both sides are infiltrated and what we're seeing is being staged. And that event looked 100% staged. 
Am I sure it is? No, but I'm going to preference that interpretation rather than believing that all of that was real and natural and then trying to support one side and argue for one side and saying one side is all right and the other side is all wrong. I have absolutely no incentive whatsoever to be defending the Patriot Front, this group of feds or Antifa or whatever they are. They're certainly not a right-wing pro-MAGA group, and that is all that matters because that's how the central narrative presents them to us. That is a complete and total lie. We are presented with the same story about the Proud Boys, and that's who's fighting them in this video. You'll remember the debate in 2020 where Chris Wallace and Joe Biden teamed up to tell Donald Trump to say something about the Proud Boys. Hey, Trump, please say, stand back and stand by or stand down. Tell the Proud Boys to stand down. And Trump says, "Uh, okay, what, what is it you want me to say? Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. And then everybody, immediate uproar. Donald Trump is signaling for the Proud Boys to be ready to attack. All of that was absolute madness. But what did they use the Proud Boys for? Oh, yeah, they used the Proud Boys to make Trump supporters look bad. We were told the Proud Boys were actually white supremacists. Now, is it possible that there are normal people who are in the Proud Boys? Yes, it is. Is it possible that there are racists in the Proud Boys? Yes, it is. But it's also possible that the entire thing is a fed op and they have no real beliefs and they just exist to be a fed up. And sometimes they attract real normal people into the fray because they're convinced that they have similar interests and similar goals and people get taken advantage of. Now, if proud boys are sitting in prison for things they were accused of on January 6th, but they did not do anything bad, then that is a grave injustice on those people. And it has nothing to do with the fact that they are proud boys. I don't like Proud Boys. I don't hate Proud Boys. I have no opinion about Proud Boys because I don't believe that any of the stories we've been told about the Proud Boys constitute a verifiable truth. So I don't form an opinion. I don't believe anyone who didn't do anything violent or severely against the law on January 6th should be in prison. It's easy to say that it's got nothing to do with their status as Proud Boys. The point is that a lot of people saw a decontextualized video showing a group going up against these Patriot front losers who everybody finds annoying, and they immediately take the side of the group going up against them. And maybe that's fine. Maybe it's right. Maybe all of this was genuine. But how come no one was saying these are proud boys? The logos are there on their clothing. It's possible that this is just an expose on the Proud Boys. Hey, the Proud Boys are clearly not white supremacists if they're fighting the group that everyone's saying are the white supremacists. That's just not possible. But the even more likely and salient takeaway is that both of these groups are probably fed ops. This is a psyop and the whole thing is staged. That is a better and more reliable interpretation that is more likely to lead you to making the right decisions and the right value judgments on what's going on. But again, that can all be achieved through the narrative. The underlying event does not have to be real. And it turns out that the underlying event probably isn't real in at least a few important ways that I have just described. 
So when you can't be sure that the underlying event is real, and it's rare that we ever can be sure of that, well, how are you supposed to determine what's true in the world? Well, you listen to both sides. Consider what might it mean if this side is telling the truth and what might it mean if this side is lying? What would they be trying to accomplish by telling the truth or lying about a given situation? And then what do the people on the opposite side think? What is their perspective on that same thing? And then you wait and you watch as more events take place. And over time, you try to determine if one of those groups, one of those sides seems to be telling you things that consistently correspond to the outcome of situations and to narrative changes that are accepted by all parties. Consider Trump relative to the regime and the regime media at the moment where everyone realizes that our elections are stolen and have been for a long time, then it becomes immediately clear that Donald Trump was telling the truth the whole time and the regime and its media were lying the whole time. It won't just be some revelation where neither side was clear this whole time. And now the truth is known. Now we can see that Trump is right, but also the regime is right because they agree with this truth that everyone has just found out. No, Trump was right the whole time, telling the truth the whole time. The facts of a reality that already existed as true and real in the world and the other people were just lying. And you can see the buildup and you can see the process toward that. You don't need a big revelation to be able to know that your judgment on who's telling the truth is actually correct. The point is you see what people are saying and you see how often that matches emerging realities to the extent they can be known. And whichever side is more reliably doing that, that's the side to stick with. But the truth is, you never just get to decide one side is telling the truth. People need to begin to develop ways to make determinations about the truth of situations and about the state of reality without any authorities. We have to accept that we are in a world of only unknowns and then try to figure out how we can be as close as possible to knowing things. We also need to have the humility to at least admit that a lot of stuff is going to be fake and some of it is going to trick us. Figuring out what stuff is fake is a big part of the battle, and especially within the last few weeks, because we're getting shown example after example of things that are in part or in full, absolutely fake. So let's talk about a couple more of them. Last week, we had a big story about how this submersible underwater craft had been taken to go see the wreckage of the Titanic. The company is called OceanGate, and there are five people on it. This craft is navigated with a PlayStation controller, and there's a bunch of billionaires aboard. So five billionaires get on a small submersible craft that they plan to take to see the wreckage of the Titanic. And the guy that owns the submersible craft and the business that takes people to see the Titanic, well, his grandparents had been on the Titanic. What an odd wrinkle. 
So for a few days, while the media is tracking this story, this potential disaster in the making, as these five important people are slowly running out of oxygen, we're being told we are going to witness the countdown to these people's certain death. And there's going to be some race against time in order to find them and rescue them. Except the whole time they were rolling that story out, there were already people in the world who knew that the sub had already imploded. Apparently the Navy knew that last Sunday and they allowed the story to just proceed in public for days. Now you have to assume that other people knew about that as well and just went along with the story. They allowed that story to dominate the public conversation for three or four days. Everybody was digging in, getting all of the very important details. We must find out what happened to these poor people who tried to go down and see the Titanic. Except the problem is we don't know that any of it is real. People have done a lot of analysis. They say, oh, these are the sonar blips that appeared when the submarine, when the submersible craft imploded. But we don't know that any of that is true. We're just being told that as a second level. And now people are analyzing exactly how the sub could have imploded and where and how we might find it and what might be happening. And what were they doing with this small PlayStation style Logitech video game controller piloting this small submersible craft? The entire story is as ridiculous as the Sky Circle story. It might be more ridiculous. And as always, the thing to take note of is the people who told you the story about the submarine and got countless clicks off the submarine dominated the public conversation with the submarine are the same people who then reported that, oh, actually, the submarine imploded days ago. Now, maybe it's just me, but when I hear something like that, I say, oh, okay. well, the whole thing was fake. Let's just start with the whole thing was fake. And then you can attempt to prove any part of this to me. And I'm not interested in the YouTube videos theorizing about how each piece of it could have worked. Well, you see, the the submarine had a, uh, a one inch thick hull and uh With that thickness at a certain depth, well, you know, it's very, very airtight down there. So it's really just how much these people are breathing, how quickly they're breathing. Oh, if they get nervous, they might breathe faster and that might shorten their oxygen supply. So they're really going to have to focus on not getting nervous while they're hoping to be rescued from the bottom of the ocean, even though the sub imploded four days ago. When you start getting into major aspects of the story being fake, it's wise to assume the whole thing's fake. Have they proven that any aspect of that submarine story is true? No, of course not. They haven't gotten anywhere near proving that any aspect of that submarine story is true. But people are still focusing their entire lives on it. There are people out there only reporting on the submarine. And the crazy thing is the submarine story isn't even the most important part of the submarine story. The most important part of the submarine story is what the hell happened to the Titanic. And in terms of net effects in the narrative, that part has been a much more important part of the story. 
the public understanding that they were lied to about the Titanic is a big deal. People trying to figure out what happened to the passengers of a supposed submarine journey doesn't really matter at all unless those people were actually personal acquaintances of yours. Are you worried that someday you might make the same mistake they made? Are you worried that someday you might find yourself in an underwater submersible 12,000 feet below sea level? Probably not. But some people actually did some really interesting digs on the Titanic, who the Titanic passengers were, how that story has been reframed and revised for us, because the real story actually matters. Zach Voorhees, the Google whistleblower, put out an interesting thread last Thursday. He says, well, if you read the primary sources from the survivors of the Titanic, you'll see a disturbing trend. Survivor after survivor doesn't mention an iceberg. They mention an incredible explosion that rocked the ship before it sank. We've all become familiar with the phrase jet fuel can't melt steel beams. Yet no one is mentioning the obvious. Icebergs can't cut through hardened steel hulls. So why would the Titanic be blown up? Well, it turns out the industrialists opposed to the creation of the Federal Reserve were on that ship. John Jacob Astor IV, Benjamin Guggenheim, Isidore Strauss, and George Dunton Widener. This is even mentioned in the movie Titanic in one scene where there are a group of people arguing against the creation of the Federal Reserve. It's extremely short, a few seconds, but it's there. Unfortunately for those behind the conspiracy, presumably the current stockholders of the Federal Reserve, the Titanic sits in international waters. Unregulated salvage operations can proceed on the Titanic. What would they presumably find? That the hull buckling in by an iceberg is actually a hull buckling out from an explosive. This fact can't be hidden forever, and media is starting to tease limited disclosures to the public. And that is what they do. Through a series of limited hangouts, they revise the old story to let people know there are a series of facts that we have to introduce to you now. None of them are a big deal. We just found out about each and every one of them. We are telling you right now, it doesn't change anything from the past, really. But there are just a few little things we want you to know in case anything else ends up coming out. He shares an article from what looks like the Huffington Post called a coal fire may have helped sink the Titanic. He writes to close this loophole, the internationalists are clamping down on visitations so that no unauthorized persons can visit the Titanic wreckage without a permit. They decided to reclassify the Titanic wreckage as a cultural heritage site that needs to be protected. So the fact that this submarine dude was able to offer trips at all is a little suspect. The fact he was able to do it with an uncertified experimental submarine controlled by a wireless game controller makes no sense. The additional fact that he specifically excluded hiring experienced pilots because they were, quote, 50 something white people yet was still permitted. So what's going to happen? The people in the submarine likely perished, but I'm open to being wrong. This event will be used as leverage to make the Titanic off limits by visitation by the citizens of the West so that the narrative of the Federal Reserve is preserved. And of course, as you may have heard by now, David de Rothschild was the entrepreneur 
an environmentalist who joined the board of OceanGate, the company running the sub. So in terms of net effects for the narrative op, people learning about the Titanic and what was actually sunk there is far more important than the details of this submersible craft that may not have existed at all. And think about this in parallel. How would you dispose of four extraordinarily wealthy industrialists if you're the Federal Reserve and these guys are attempting to thwart your plans? Well, just going to their homes and shooting them would make it very clear that somebody or some group of people wanted these men killed. You would then consider what they have in common and you would start there in terms of figuring out who might have killed these men. But if you wanted to be sure that no one would think these men have been murdered and no one would question, hey, who murdered these men? Well, you might do something really dramatic that everyone will see, something horrifying, something with all sorts of side plots that could be used to distract people. And then they could all be done away with using the massive story as a cover. It actually doesn't even require these men having ever been on the ship. They could have all been killed at home as long as the public believes they were all on the ship when it sank. Everybody knows they're dead. Now they can't stop the Federal Reserve and no one asks questions. Oh, they were on the Titanic. Oh, you mean that massive boat that hit the iceberg and then sank, killing not everybody, but almost everybody and certainly these rich industrialists got it. If multiple aspects of an event are lied about intentionally or are proven fake within the central narrative, then it makes sense to immediately assume that other aspects of the story might be similarly fake or similarly lied about. Which brings us to yet another fake event that emerged over the weekend. On Friday evening, we were told that the leader of the Wagner Group, the mercenaries doing a lot of the fighting for Russia on Russia's behalf in Ukraine, had decided to march on Moscow and stage a coup against Vladimir Putin. Wagner is led by a man named Prigozhin. Prigozhin and Putin have a long relationship. Prigozhin is kind of a dramatic guy. He likes making huge public displays, huge public statements. He records himself in video statements. He's also responsible for what The Hollywood Reporter refers to in a massive feature article that is very interesting and also a product of the false reality. That Prigozhin is some major propagandist who just has films created glorifying Wagner and his work. So these guys have been fighting in Donetsk, in Bakhmut, winning in Bakhmut. Finally, Bakhmut has fallen. The regime has admitted that Bakhmut is not going to work out. And Prigozhin decides to take Wagner out of Bakhmut down to a place called Rostov-on-Don, which is on the Russian side of the border at the narrow end of the Azov Sea. He's got his 25,000 men. They travel about 200 miles, and then they're going to travel the rest of the way to Moscow, where they're going to depose Vladimir Putin. And apparently, Prigozhin himself is going to take over the government. Now, is Russia going to just allow him to do that? Apparently, that's what 
everybody believed because Putin is so weak and so threatened. He's so vulnerable. That's why Prigozhin is going after him. And we were told that Putin fleed. He was going to flee. He was so scared that he fleed. Now, why did all of this start? Well, apparently Russia had an airstrike on Wagner or maybe just really close to Wagner that killed a bunch of Wagner guys. So Prigozhin was very mad and decided to stage the coup. Going to march all his guys to Russia, even though Putin has hundreds of thousands of troops ready to go in Russia. Prigozhin and Wagner don't care if all of them are slaughtered on the way. They just need to avenge their fallen brothers from this airstrike. Now, are there details about this airstrike? No. When did it happen? Who knows? How was all of this treated? Well, the attention farmers on Twitter decided to have one of their attention farming Twitter spaces like they have almost every day about almost every subject. Some guy named Mario Knopfel starts a Twitter space and then all of the other attention farmers join in because they want to sit up at the top of the Twitter space and say they're very, very smart things while they collect followers. That's basically attention farming on Twitter 101. Go in a Twitter space and say controversial things about totally unknown and unknowable subjects like this Wagner coup that was being launched in Russia. They all treated it as very, very real, very, very important. There was a real concern that Putin could be deposed and overthrown and someone else would be leading Russia by the end of the weekend. This was going to turn the tides in the Ukraine war. And finally, the regime was going to strike back for eight hours. They kept this Twitter space going over a hundred thousand people watching. Elon Musk highlighted it, told people, Hey, go there. If you want to find out what's happening in Russia. And then a few hours later, after all the pontification, Prigozhin made a deal, quote unquote, with Lukashenko, the president of Belarus, and then he turned his troops around and marched right back into Ukraine. Now, none of the central narrative story should be believed. Was this a coup? Almost definitely not. No one was killed. There was no violence. It ended in a deal that could have been proposed without the coup. We don't know the details of that deal. And now things just go on. There is some indication and some speculation that perhaps the regime had tried to get Wagner and Prigozhin to go along with their coup, that he was going to go stage this coup on behalf of the regime. There are some people who think that some of the money that's been adjusted in the accounting has been redirected toward that effort. There is no hard and fast proof that that is true, but it works in a narrative sense. And I think that that's why people are using it and why it's catching on so much. But it seems likely that there was some Western involvement, some attempt to undermine Putin. There might have been people in Wagner, those mercenaries who wanted to go against Putin. Maybe they were getting paid more by the Western regime to infiltrate and then do that. Whatever it was, it didn't work. And in the aftermath, we were told that Western intelligence has known about this coup for multiple weeks. But wait a second. I thought that this coup was happening because Putin had a misguided airstrike that killed Wagner guys. Well, it turns out that none of these stories are true. And there's also no reason to believe the story about Western intelligence knowing this and to take that in a real way. That itself seems like a limited hangout. 
for Western involvement in trying to drum up this coup that we will find out about later. But once again, the details kind of matter secondarily. The actual event does not matter as much as the narrative event and what we have learned and probably what Vladimir Putin has learned. It is likely that Putin and Prigozhin were on the same page the entire time. Otherwise, Prigozhin would likely be dead by now rather than striking up a deal with Lukashenko. All of this happened in the aftermath of the end or pause of the spring offensive that turned into a summer offensive that turned into a summer counteroffensive. We've had it described in all of those ways and that it either ended or paused a couple of weeks ago. And then that was when Western intelligence became aware of this coup plot. All that sounds believable, right? And of course it doesn't. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's possible, though, that through this ruse, and it does seem to be a ruse. I'm not certain of that, but it seems to be a ruse. If it was a ruse, it's possible that Putin could have just convinced the regime to show all of its cards and for all of the infiltrators within Wagner and anywhere else to show all of their cards as well. This might have been an absolutely brilliant tactical move on Putin's part while we were being told that Putin was fleeing Moscow. The regime clowns made absolute fools of themselves. Everyone talking about this online, the Alexander Vindman's of the world, the Michael McFall's of the world, all of these warmongers who have done the same thing throughout the duration, this entire conflict. The last 16 months now, the people who have lied about absolutely everything and been wrong about absolutely everything have lied and been wrong once again. They're the same people who told us a few months ago that Russian missiles were sent into Poland and that Article 5 of NATO would be triggered, forcing the U.S. into a kinetic confrontation with Russia. That is what they were trying to go for a few months ago. Those same people just did the same thing with this supposed Russian coup. If there was a coup in Russia that overthrew Vladimir Putin, that would be a major, massive geopolitical event. And they lied about it and got it wrong. It went from huge story to absolutely false within a matter of hours. It was under 24 hours, but they did it anyway. And it failed. It was embarrassing. It makes their position so much worse within their false reality. It made sense. They thought they could get it. Maybe they thought that Prigozhin was going to go along with them. Maybe they thought they had him purchased, but it didn't work. Now, I don't know what you thought when you first saw those headlines, but I thought the same thing I thought When I saw the NBC poll, when I saw the video of the Proud Boys and the Patriot Front pillow fighting on a Portland sidewalk, I thought the same thing I thought when I saw the submarine headlines. And that was this. Oh, hey, well, that's definitely fake. How do I know it's fake? Because that thing either can't happen or doesn't happen, at least not as it's described. And once you know that the thing can't be happening as it's described, then you know there's some other answer. So you got to figure out what that answer is. Start with what do they want me to believe? Figure out what the opposite of that is, and then figure out if you can support that position at all. 
It is actually possible to come to correct judgments just observing the narrative and understanding that we are in a narrative operation from both sides. And it's not the only thing that's going on, but it is happening. And there is information and guidance to be gained from within that. You could know that the Wagner coup was not real and could not happen based on everything else we know about Russia and Ukraine, but not only that, based on everything we know about stories and storytelling. That story element did not work at all. If this was all a writer's room and the story were being written, that would have been rejected immediately because it was such blatant nonsense. When that happens and then you realize that part of the story is being communicated to you by the absolute worst, most dishonest, most immoral storytellers you could possibly find anywhere. The answer is simply, oh, that's fake. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!